again to Resurrection City Church. My name is Julie, and I am one of the pastors here, and I'm just really glad that you're here with us this morning. Um, I know this weekend the weather was a lot warmer than we're used to, and I was thinking we have this softball game and ice cream coming up tonight, and I was like, yes, it'll be nice and warm, and then now today it's supposed to rain and be a little colder, but... I also realize that I like heat and not everybody wants to sit in like 85 degree weather and sweat. So maybe it'll be better for everybody else, but it'll be a little chillier tonight. So if you can make it, we'd love to have you come. Um, it's fun. Even if you're not into sports or softball, it's fun just to watch the team and hang out. So, uh, okay. So this morning we, last week we finished up our sermon series in the book of Ephesians, which is what we've been doing since we launched the church. So it's kind of exciting that we get to move into something a little different today. Uh, and we're going to move into just a, like a three week mini series in the Psalms. And last week, Joel talked a lot, if you were here, if you were able to listen on the podcast, um, he talked a lot about prayer and why we pray as a church and why it's important, um, what it means for us to do that. And Joel and I are excited to do Psalms now because a lot of the book of Psalms is kind of a, it's a prayer book for God's people in some ways. So really looking at them, digging into them and seeing some ways that we can practice prayer uh, by reading and learning from scripture. So if you're newer to the book of Psalms, or if you just need a little bit of a refresher, uh, there are 150 Psalms in, in the book, and it's broken into five different books within those 150. So it's kind of like chapters, if you want to think about it that way. Uh, and Psalms are, there's a mix of poems, songs, and prayers in the book, so each one might be a little bit different. And the book of Psalms is a compilation book, so there's lots of different authors who have written these psalms, and they're all kind of compiled together in an order that was specific to how they wanted it to be. Uh, and while there are several different authors, a majority of them are connected with King David. So if you are wondering, it's probably a good guess that David wrote it. He's one of the prominent figures uh, in the people of God. But there are also a lot of other authors that are involved in it. And the one we're going to look at today is actually by someone else. So we'll get to that. Uh, another thing to note is that it was arranged, this compilation was arranged after God's people came out of exile. So there was this time when the people of God uh, were away from their home, and it was a really difficult time for them. It was hard for them to know, how do we worship God in this time? And when they came out of that, someone, I'm not entirely sure who, decided, let's compile these poems and songs and prayers that were kind of written over this time period, and let's use it sort of as a prayer book for God's people. So it was kind of used in this waiting time as they were waiting for the Messiah to come to help guide the people of God to think about how should we worship in this time? What does it look like for us to do this? And within the Psalms, there are two main types of them. So there's praise and there's lament. So praise uh, is what it sounds like, right? Those very joyful. There was a lot of thankfulness for what God has done, lots of celebration. Uh, if you read these, they're just very excited and very happy psalms to read. Uh, and then on the other hand, there are also lament psalms. And when you read a lament psalm, you'll probably feel a lot more of the anger, confusion, a lot of God's people looking at the world and saying, God, what is going on? This is so hard, and things are so broken, and we don't know what to do with it. And so if you read through the book, you really feel that tension, this tension of we have this amazing God who we get to praise and worship and be so thankful for his faithfulness, 
And yet we live in this world that is really broken. And so there's a lot of things to lament and to feel angry about or confused. And I think this really creates a healthy tension. And this is the tension that we should be living in today as well. So it, it kind of helps teach us uh, how, do we, how do we live in that? How do we feel both of those things and still worship God throughout it? And then the last thing to note is that some psalms are what you would call corporate psalms. So they were either like worship songs, like what we sang today, where everybody's singing it all together. And it's thinking more corporately about like the whole people of God. You know, all of the people of God are thankful because God has rescued us from this thing. Um, It's more of an all-together type of a thing. And some of them are more individual. So it might be an individual that's writing about their experience and saying, this is what I'm feeling, Uh, this is how I'm processing things, this is my prayer to the Lord. And so the one we're going to look at today is more of that individual one. So I think you'll feel that as we read it, uh, and hopefully you'll feel some uh, relation to it. You'll be able to see kind of yourself or different maybe times that you've felt the similar ways to how the psalmist felt. So we're going to look at Psalm 42. If you want to get out your Bibles or get your phones out, I'll have the scripture up on the screen too. Uh, But it's the first psalm of the second book, Uh, and it is written by the sons of Korah, which was like a, honestly, kind of like a musical group for better, like, that's kind of the best way I could describe it. Uh, They kind of wrote a lot of the psalms and turned a lot of them into music or set them to music. And I think it's really fitting because sons of Korah totally sounds like a hipster band name. Like, if you told me that, you know, Miles' questions of like, oh yeah, my favorite album was by the Sons of Korah, probably wouldn't have even batted an eye. It totally sounds like it would fit. Uh, And so this one, but this one is a more individual one. So I'm not sure if it was someone, like an individual member of the Sons of Korah who wrote it, or if they're just the ones who kind of put it to, put it together. But it's an individual psalm and it's a lament. So we're going to look at some things that have been maybe some harder emotions than maybe the the joyful ones. And one of the commentaries I read titled the song, or titled the psalm, An Honest Prayer from a Discouraged Saint. So if you've ever felt discouraged, which I know I have, uh, hopefully you'll be able to find some ways to relate to this one. Okay, so let's dig into it. Verses 1 through 3, it says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? So he starts this psalm out with a simile, if you remember from your um, school days, that when you compare something using like or as. And so he says that he feels like a deer panting for water. The way that he longs for God, he wants to be with God so badly, uh, is the same as like a deer who needs water. Or I was thinking about our dog yesterday when it was really hot and we walked her around only a few blocks, but she came in panting like she was going to die needing water. So that was the image that popped to my brain as I was reading this. But just think about that longing. Um, He just desires to be with God. And yet he feels very far from God. Uh, he's asking, when can I go and meet with God? And that's kind of a little bit confusing. So the scholars think that the psalm was either written during the exile, when God's people were far from God, or far from their home and far from the ways that they would usually worship God, 
or it's possible that this individual had some kind of um, illness or something that would have prevented him from worshiping God in the way that he was used to be doing. So he's far from God both physically and just emotionally, feels that distance. Uh, And instead of getting the water that he longs for, the water that he uh, feels this need for, he says that his tears are his food, uh, which is a pretty... If you're crying that hard that you're about to be eating your tears, you can see that he's very distraught over it. And so he goes on and he says, These things I remember. As I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Mighty One, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. So it almost seems like he's starting out to say, like, but I'm going to remember the good times. I'm going to remember the times that I have had with God, uh, where I did feel like I could worship him, worship him freely. I could be surrounded by the people of God and be encouraged. Uh, but it's almost as if, you know, he starts to think about all these good times. And instead of being encouraged, it almost makes him feel worse. If you've ever experienced that when you're kind of down and you're thinking, like, yeah, but I remember these times that were good. And then instead of cheering you up, it really makes you feel like, well, why, why can't those times be now? Why am I stuck here in this difficult place? And so there's a disconnect for him between these past memories and the present. Even though he remembers them, it's still taking him up. It's difficult for him to remember and to be encouraged by it. And so the next thing he does, I think, is really key and something we're going to talk a lot about as I work through this this morning. Uh, he turns and addresses himself. He says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. So he starts talking to himself. Uh, and studies show, and I'm not sure how uh, solid this science is, because it seemed like I read a lot of different answers, but that we have somewhere between 50,000 and 70,000 thoughts a day which seems like a lot. But then when you think about, like, just think about how many things you thought about this morning. Maybe you thought about, what am I going to eat for breakfast? What am I going to wear? As you're driving, hopefully you're thinking about driving well and taking the right turns. Um, So we have a lot of thoughts during our day. And right now there's kind of a big trend uh, around something called mindfulness. Have you guys heard of of this idea before? There's lots of apps about it and lots of different things. Uh, And according to mindfulness.org, The goal of mindfulness is to wake up to the inner workings of our mental, emotional, and physical processes. So basically, it's just to be more aware of those 50 to 70,000 thoughts that we have every day. So recognizing them, thinking about them, uh, and then hopefully doing something productive with them. And I actually think there are aspects of mindfulness and practicing this mindfulness that can be really helpful to our faith. uh, Because it asks us to slow down and recognize the things that we think or feel. We live in a very fast-paced world. There's always something that we can be doing or engaging with or thinking about or listening to. Um, I know like podcasts are really big, right? And you just turn a podcast on whenever it's quiet or turn music on whenever it's quiet. We rarely take the time to slow down and actually just sit and and be with our, our thoughts or our feelings. 
I even think about sometimes when I'm in like a waiting area or something like that, and I like have my phone out and I'm like, what did I do before I had a smartphone? <laughs> did I just sit here and like, you know, stare? And I was like, yeah, I probably did. But now I almost feel awkward not looking at my phone because everybody else around me is looking at their phones. And then I feel like they think I'm staring at them or something if I'm not looking at my phone. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. Next time you're in a crowded place and not doing anything, try just putting it away. It feels very awkward. Uh, but this is really hard, right? It's hard for us to slow down and to even be aware of and recognize our thoughts and feelings. I think we also tend to push them down if they're uncomfortable. So feelings like what the psalmist is talking about, feelings that are hard or sad or angry, uh, because we aren't always extremely comfortable with feeling those things, we can kind of just push them off and say, oh yeah, I'm starting to feel a little bit sad, but you know what, I'm just going to go and watch Netflix or I'm going to go call a friend or I'm going to go do something else that takes my mind off of it and hopefully it just goes away once I put it over there. But I think we've all experienced uh, that doesn't happen, right? Those things build up and those feelings don't just magically disappear if we don't deal with them. So slowing down and actually taking stock of what we think or feel is important. Uh, And not just from a mindfulness mental health standpoint, but also from our faith. Our thoughts and our feelings, they matter to God too. And I think all too often we don't stop to think about that. We just continue on through our day. But we see in the psalm, the author clearly has taken the time to acknowledge how he feels. And he doesn't just leave it that. He doesn't just say, like, I feel down, I'm really, like, discouraged by all these things, but that's just the way it is and there's nothing I can do about it. Instead, he takes a step and he challenges his thoughts. He says, why, soul? Why do you feel this way? And again, because we don't take the time to recognize our thoughts, I think we often then certainly don't take the time to challenge our thoughts and to really ask them, why do we feel the way that we do? Uh, We also tend to give our feelings and our thoughts a lot of validity, right? If I feel something, therefore it must be true. If I feel lonely, then I must be alone. No one must care about me because I feel this way. Uh, I think we do that in a lot of different things. We say, whatever I'm feeling right now, there's nothing else that can change that. That just my feelings are truth and they're valid and I need to stick with them. But instead, I think what the psalmist gives us a good example of challenging our thoughts. We'll talk more about this in the application. I'm going to kind of talk about how we can do that, give a practical way to do it. Uh, But we see that the the psalmist goes on to, to... call to mind times where God has been faithful, even though he doesn't feel like it in that moment. Uh, He doesn't let his present thoughts and his feelings and experiences take control and dictate everything else about what's going on around him. And as I talk about this, I want to make a quick side note, uh, and I know that we've mentioned this other times from the stage, but I just think it's really important, so I'm going to say it again. Uh, with all of this talk about our thoughts and our feelings and how we kind of deal with those and process them with our faith, I don't think that that's at odds or, you know, like excludes using medication for different things like anxiety or depression. Uh, We believe that those are, are real things that people experience and we want, if medication is something that you need to help process through those things, we think that that's a really good thing. We think God works through that just as much as he works through other things. And so, as, as I continue on, I'm, I'm going to be talking a lot more about like what our thoughts and our feelings and how we can manage those, but I just want you to know that I definitely don't exclude that from the use of medication as well. I'd highly encourage you, if you feel like you um, are struggling with this, to talk to your doctor about it and see if that is something that could be helpful for you. But 
I know we've said it before, but I just want to say it again because I think it's very important. Okay, so we're going to keep going. Um, The psalmist continues and he says, My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. And scholars aren't really sure why the author picks these specific places to list. Uh, And again, because it's a personal lament, it could just be places that were personally important to whoever wrote the psalm. So it might be, you know, places where they felt really connected to God or places where they've lived or, I don't know, just different things that were important to this author's past. And I think we can relate to that. Uh, You can probably think back to certain times of life or places that you were where you felt really close to God or you felt like you were growing. Uh, Maybe that was college, doing the campus ministry or something like that. Maybe that was on a mission trip when you were younger. Or, I mean, maybe you're in an experience like that right now, which is great. Good things to remember and to hold on to. Uh, But the psalmist points out that we can worship God wherever we are in whatever time of life we're in. So even though it may not feel where you are right now might not feel as exciting as some of those other times where you felt like you were really growing, uh, he's saying, I can still worship God, even though I'm not in that time and place. God is still faithful, God hasn't changed, and we can still count on him. And that's what I love about this psalm, is that the psalmist can express discouragement and hurt, and at the same time, remember the truths about God. He can hold these things in tension. Uh, in fact, it often flips back and forth as you read it. You're kind of like, oh, maybe, it's, maybe he's starting to feel encouraged. And then, nope, oh, now he's feeling discouraged again. And I think that's honestly an experience that we can all relate to in real life. It doesn't always just magically a flip switches and you're like, oh, now I feel good. Now I'm not worried about it anymore. So as he goes on, you can see, kind of thinks about all these different things. He says, uh, deep calls to deep. In the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. So again, here we've got this discouragement and encouragement combined together. And he talks about deep calls to deep in the roar of the waterfalls. He's basically saying, I feel overwhelmed. I feel like I'm drowning. But then he turns and remembers truths about God and prays to him. And you see here that the psalmist's feelings don't invalidate God's love. And on the flip side, God's love doesn't invalidate the psalmist's feelings. These two can live together, and he can still express them as he expresses truth. All right, let's keep going. He says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? So now here we see that the psalmist doesn't just talk to himself, but he also talks to God. And this is something that I think, this is the spot where mindfulness, just regular mindfulness, falls short. Because the focus in mindfulness is all about how you can change your thoughts and feelings, what you can do. Uh, But it doesn't ever go outside of you. And I think that the problem is, is that we, the problem you're in is started from your own thoughts and feelings. So to say, I'm just going to use my own thoughts and feelings to get myself out of this is sometimes not really an option, right? This is a very difficult thing. And it, honestly, it can be a lot of pressure, right? You need to figure out how you can get yourself out of this situation. And as I was thinking about this, I remembered a time uh, when I was in college And I had a mentor who was helping me process through some things. Uh, It was kind of a tough period in my life. I was dealing with some grief and anxiety after a friend of mine had passed away in an accident. 
uh, honestly, it was a pretty low point. I was feeling very anxious, and it was, I wasn't entirely sure how to process it and how to deal with it. But I was doing my best. I was, you know, like, I'm going to read scripture. I'm going to try to do all the things that, like, people say, like, oh, if you just read scripture, if you just, you know, pray, if you talk to your friends, do all these things, like, check all the boxes, then you'll be fine. You'll get better. It'll go away. It'll get easier. And that just wasn't happening. (laughs) I was really struggling. And one day I was talking to my mentor, and I found myself venting to her about this. I I was like, I'm doing all the things I'm supposed to be doing. What the heck? (laughs) Why is this not getting any easier? And I remember she was just sitting there looking at me. And finally she said, Julie, you can't fix yourself. And I was so mad at her in that moment. (laughs) Because I was like, if I can't fix myself, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to get out of this? How am I ever going to feel any different as I process through all of these really hard things? But in the end, I'm ultimately really glad that she told me that. And it's really stuck with me because it reminded me that I needed God. I couldn't just look inside myself and find something that was going to help me move past it or help fix myself in some way. I needed to look outward and I needed to look upward. And this is what the psalmist does, right? He turns from himself and talks to God. And we need to do this when we're being mindful. We need to recognize our self-talk and challenge it, but then we also need to bring it to God. We need to remember the faithfulness of God. And the author of this psalm probably had different reminders of God's faithfulness in his life that he was thinking about, or maybe just faithfulness in the life of God's people. Um, I know the Exodus is something that the Old Testament authors often referred to as, like, look at the way God provided and he rescued us from slavery. But we have Christ. We have something to look at uh, that's even bigger than any of the reminders that the psalmist would have had. The psalmist expresses many things that Christ himself suffered for our sake. He says his bones suffered mortal mortal agony on the cross. People walked by him, taunting him, saying, If you're the Son of God, save yourself. Where's your God now? Christ experienced being cut off and separated from God the Father when he took the weight of our sin. In that moment, he calls out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which sounds very similar to some of the things, and is actually from another psalm in the book of Psalms. And Christ did all of this for us and for the church and for his kingdom. He did it so that we could be made right with God, so that our sin could be erased, and that we could have a perfect relationship with God. He did it so that evil could be conquered, so that one day the world and everything in it would be made new. And in doing all of this, he made it possible for us to say to ourselves, uh, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. The psalmist didn't have Christ when he wrote this. So if he can think of examples of God's faithfulness and say, I'm going to put my hope in God, how much more can we do that with the ultimate example of God's faithfulness in Christ on the cross? We can turn to God and acknowledge that he is the one who saves us. We have to end these prayers and these times where we're struggling and asking ourselves these questions with truth. End with a reminder that God is faithful and that we have reason to hope in him. That we can look to Christ and his life and his death and resurrection to know that God is faithful, that he's loving, that he's just, and that we can trust him. 
All right, I want to look to a time of application now and kind of talk through what does it look like for us to apply this? What does it look like for us to pray in this way uh, and to practice some of the things that the psalmist talks about? And my first thing is just that take time to recognize your thoughts and emotions. As I talked about, we, are, we live in a fast-paced world. A lot of us are very busy. Uh, but every day we have a lot of opportunities, 50 to 70,000 of them, uh, to honor God with our thoughts. We have opportunities to believe truth and to be an image bearer of God. And I say being an image bearer because our thoughts don't just stay in our head. Uh, I think we tend to think like, oh, well, I'm thinking that or I'm feeling that, but I won't act that way, and so it doesn't matter. But the truth is that the way that we think and the way that we feel impacts how we view the world. It impacts how we view God, and it impacts how we view ourselves. And so in the end, it is going to come out, right? I think you've probably experienced this, times where you felt really distracted or really upset. It's hard to just go through your normal day like nothing has happened. Those things impact you, and they come out. So it matters for us to take time to recognize and think about them. And you'll notice I've been saying thoughts and feelings, because I know that some of you might be like, yeah, I'm just not an emotional person, right? Like, I'm just not a feeler. I just don't, you know, like, I don't have that many emotions in a day. Um, In our training, Joel and I took a class where it was called Soul Care, and it's kind of about, like, how to care for people. And one of the things they had you do, one of the exercises when you first get there, is there's a list of, like, 30-some emotions. And the teacher was like, okay, I want you to, this is at 9 a.m., mind you. She's like, I want you to go through and check uh, all the emotions that you've felt today so far. And I remember some of the people were like, excuse me? (laughs) Uh, It's 9 in the morning. I haven't felt anything yet. Uh, Whereas other people, one of my friends, had 17 checked before 9 in the morning, right? So it's like, there's a vast... Uh, spectrum of how we experience our thoughts and our feelings. Um, But I want you to know, even if you are like, yeah, I'm just not a feeler, you do still have those thoughts. Or maybe you think about your emotions or think about how you feel. Uh, And I I think it still matters that you take stock of those things and try to ask yourself, uh, how does that affecting me? What am I feeling? What am I thinking about? Even if you know, it might not be as easy as you're like, oh yeah, I can check all these emotions right away. It might take a little bit more work for you to think about those things. But I think either way, it's important for us to acknowledge them and to think about them. Uh, and, and if you're like, yeah, you know, maybe I feel things, but I just, you know, like I kind of have this association with feelings as being bad or like it's not cool to express your emotion or, you know, my family growing up just never did that. So I don't really have an example of what that would look like. Uh, I think Look to the Psalms as your example. There's tons of examples in the Bible of people expressing emotion. And so I think that should give you courage to know that it's not bad to feel things. It's okay, and it's okay to express those things as well. All right, and then next to challenge your thoughts. Uh, Like I was talking about earlier, your feelings do not always equal truth. And so it's important for us to take stock of what we feel and think and to challenge them. And the psalmist gives us a great example by asking the question, why? Right? He says, why, my soul, are you downcast? And I think that's a great question for us to take and to use as we practice uh, challenging our own thoughts and feelings. So you can think about it, maybe, is how I've been thinking about it, a little bit like plants, right? I've been doing a lot of gardening lately, and by gardening, I mean I've been pulling a lot of weeds out because our garden is like 
overgrown with weeds. And so I've had a lot of time as I've been thinking about digging down and trying to get to the very bottom of the root of these weeds so that they don't come back about how plants uh, work and how they come back if they're not fully removed down to the root. And I think a lot of times our feelings uh, can kind of be the thing that pops up or our thoughts about certain things. And we have to dig down to the bottom to see what's causing those feelings or those thoughts in us. So every time you ask the question, why, to yourself, it's kind of like taking another uh, shovel full of dirt and scooping it out to see further down what's at the root of what I'm feeling or thinking. So I'm giving you a a suggestion to just continue to ask yourself why. You might sound like a a three-year-old, so some of you might have those and know that they like to ask a lot of questions. Uh, But I think that's a good thing. It's good to ask those things. So I thought I'd walk through an example of what this might look like. Um, And I tried to pick something that I thought, like, many of us could relate to. And so uh, I picked the example of, let's say you have a big project coming up at work, or just, like, something that's going to be really big with with what you do, and you're feeling overwhelmed or anxious about it. I know I've felt that way before when I've had big projects or big things coming up. So... The options are you could just power through and deal with it, right? Say, okay, I'm feeling anxious about this, but this project will be over in a couple of weeks, and so I just need to push through, and then I'll be fine. Once I'm done with this project, that'll just go away. But as you've probably noticed, if you've done that before, it just kind of keeps coming back up, right? There's always going to be something big coming up at work. There's always going to be something that's uh, maybe making you feel a little overwhelmed. So you could push through it, or you could dig in, and you could say, all right, I feel anxious about this project, why? And you could say, well, it's because I have a lot to do and I don't have a lot of time to do it. I just, am, I just don't have enough time. So then you ask yourself, why do I need so much time to complete this project? And maybe the answer is because I want this project to be really good. I want it to be the best. Okay, so why does it need to be so good? Well, because I have to present it in front of all of my coworkers and my boss. And that's a big deal. Okay, well, why does that matter to you? Well, because I want to show that I'm competent. I want them to think highly of me. I want them to think I'm doing a good job at my work. And none of these things necessarily are bad, right? Like, it's good to want to do a good job at work. But ask yourself, why? Why does it matter that they think I'm so competent? Well, at the bottom of it, I think it's probably, this is one possible answer. I'm not saying this is, like, the way it goes for everybody, but this is one example, is that you have some value of yourself based on what they think or how, they, how you do your job. You put value, your own value, in how well you're doing at work. And honestly, at the bottom of that, we know that our value comes from God, right? We've talked a lot about in Ephesians how our worth comes from Christ. He's the one who saves us and gives us that grace and makes us, gives us a calling and gives us worth. And so I'm not saying that by recognizing that and getting to the bottom of this that oh, I'm not going to feel stressed about this project anymore. Now it's going to be a super easy breeze. The work's going to be so much lighter, and I won't be overwhelmed. You might still be overwhelmed. There might still be a lot of work that needs to be done, and it might take a lot of time. But letting go of that uh, need to feel like you're being valued in what you're doing and finding your value in Christ instead frees you up to do that work without that fear and anxiety about what other people are going to think of you. It gives you an opportunity to work hard still, but to work for the Lord and not to work for the approval of the people around you at your work. 
And so you can use this, this question asking of just asking why on anything. You can use it on big things or on small things. Uh, but I think it's important for us to really dig down and say, what's at the bottom of this? Because oftentimes at the bottom of it is some lie we're believing about ourselves or about God. And those are the things that God really cares that we know truth about, right? He cares that we know that we're made in his image and that our worth comes from him. Okay, which leads us to the next uh, application point, which is to bring it to God. Uh, I've already talked about how you can't fix yourself and how you need to rely on God. But if you need any more motivation to bring your thoughts or emotions to God, remember that Christ sympathizes with you. Jesus came to live on this earth. He was fully human. And because of that, he understands what it's like. He gets it. So no matter how weird or stupid or sinful you think your thoughts might be, Hebrews 4 says that, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So God wants to hear from us. He cares. He sympathizes. He listens. I know sometimes I don't bring things to God because I think, what difference does it make? And in that, and even me asking that question, I'm showing a lack of trust in God. God can do amazing things. He can do immeasurably more than we could ever ask for. And so it's important for us to bring our prayers to him, to ask him to show up in a big way and to expect him to do it. And then lastly, my last application point is just to end with truth. So even when you don't feel it, say it anyways. Even when you don't believe it, say it to yourself until you do. But here's the thing about truth. You need to read scripture in order to find it. I think this is the step I see people get stuck on a lot, or I sometimes even do, because it forces us to go outside of ourselves, whereas we want to look into ourselves and say, I can do this on my own. I can pull myself up by my bootstraps. But you have to go to scripture. You have to read God's word. You have to study it. Write it down somewhere where you'll see it. And then let's help each other with that as we do it. Uh, reminder, give each other reminders of God's grace and God's truth in our lives. Not just kind of the casual, like, oh, girl, you've got this. Uh, like, I know you can do it. You know, those are good, but at the end of the day, they don't have the teeth that the truth of Scripture has. So let's remind each other with Scripture. Let's encourage one another with the truths of God. Uh, because even though this is an individual lament, we here at Red City, we live our lives in community. We've been put together into the church of God, uh, and we're not meant to do this alone. So let's help one another as we do it. We're going to move now to a time of worship through song and communion uh, and giving. But uh, before I do that, I just want to give us a little example of what we're doing here. So communion for us is one of those reminders of God's faithfulness. It's a time to, to look at the table and say, yeah, Christ did go to the cross and die for me and rise again. And I can put my hope in that, and I'm going to remember that both individually and corporately as a church. So we just ask that you are a believer in Christ, that you've said, Lord, I give you my life, and I surrender and let you be my Lord and King. So if you are a believer, we'd love to invite you to take communion with us today. And then we also believe that giving is a response to God. So if you would like to do that, you can. there's a box in the back, um, and then there's also a, a way to do it online on our website if you're interested in doing that. All right, as we move to this time of worship, I want to close us with a prayer that I'm actually just going to read one of the psalms to you because we've been talking about how these psalms are prayers. 
And I'm going to read Psalm 43, uh, which is the psalm immediately after the one we just read. And some people actually think that it was originally one prayer altogether. And you'll kind of hear some repetitive or some different things that sound very similar, so it'll make sense to you. Um, But this is the psalmist coming to God and saying, All right, Lord, I've laid out my feelings to you, and now this is my prayer to you. This is what I'm going to ask of you. So as I read it, I invite you all to, um, to think about that for yourselves and to pray along with me. Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God. To God, my joy and my delight, I will praise you with the lyre. O God, my God, why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Amen.